Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. I miss you guys. It was a long weekend. This is our first show in the last four days, but it felt like weeks. I hope everyone enjoyed their holiday weekend, had a Merry Christmas, uh, and all that other good stuff. Hope you guys got some good gifts, for those of you that got gifts. Uh, anyway, I just hope you enjoyed your Christmas. Back to, uh, you know, Monday, and we have another holiday coming up this weekend. We celebrate the... celebrate... I guess we welcome the end of 2020 and celebrate the coming of 2021, which will hopefully be a much better year than 2020 was. Want to welcome some of you guys. Of course, we have our moderator, Singer Chick, Khaleesi, Saz is also moderating on YouTube, Twitter, uh, what am I missing, Twitch, and Facebook. (laughs) Uh, let's see, who else do we have with us? Philip Thompson is with us on Facebook, Nancy, Colette, Cece is with us on YouTube, Lindsay Sparks, Wilson is with us on YouTube, welcome to all you guys on Instagram, which is, there we go, Sandra, Deborah, Adrian, Ether, welcome to all you guys on Instagram. So before we get started, I want to let you guys know that we are looking to expand our team here at Dead Talk Live. And particularly, I'm looking for writers, blog writers. Uh, I really want to expand, expand the blog section of our website, which, by the way, is Dead Talk Live, uh, deadtalklive.com. If you haven't been there yet, please go ahead and check it out. And also, please visit our YouTube channel and new Twitch channel, which are also called Dead Talk Live. If you have yet to do so, please go ahead and subscribe. If you're there right now, please hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. So anyway, we are looking for blog writers, volunteer blog writers. Um, I want to expand the blog section of deadtalklive.com. And uh, we have a backlog of interviews. Uh, 2020 is coming to an end. And we started this show at the very end of April. And we've done well over 30 interviews in the past eight months. And I want, you know, uh, writers to summarize each of our interviews. And uh, I posted the, the position on LinkedIn And I've gotten an overwhelming response already. A lot of people want to be a part of our great team here. And I welcome anybody who wants to submit as well. It's pretty simple. If you want to be a part of our team, just go to our YouTube page. uh, Look up under our featured Dead Talk Live episodes. That's where you'll find all of our interviews. Pick any interview. Watch it. Summarize it in a nice little article and submit it to me. My web, my email is on our website, deadtalklive.com. My email is everywhere, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. Everywhere you look on our social media, you'll be able to find my email address. So go ahead, pick a, an, an interview, any interview you'd like. Summarize it, so email it over to me. I want to make the selections by the end of this week, uh, which would be like uh, January 1st, which would be this coming Friday. 
I'm looking for several blog, uh, blog writers because we have a backlog of interviews that I want to, uh, you know, expand, as I said, in our blog section. So if you're interested, just go ahead, pick an interview, summarize it, send me your article, and I'll be making the final selection, hopefully by the end of this week, and you can be a part of our team here on Dead Talk Live. It is a volunteer position uh, with the possibility of it becoming a paying position sometime in the future. So I just want to put that out there as well. Uh, let's see who has joined us. Marco is with us on YouTube. Welcome to our executive producer. Retroman is with us on YouTube as well, saying it's 3.36 in the morning. Um, I'm an insomniac as well. I don't go to bed till between 5 or 6 in the morning. And my day doesn't begin until 2 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> so I hear you for you guys that are up late. I welcome you and thank you for uh, joining our broadcast tonight. So, we got an uh, excellent video submission yesterday. It's a collaboration by our own Hard Productions and TB Edits. Uh, they did a collaboration on a Daryl Dixon and Glenn Reed tribute on The Walking Dead. It's called Warriors. And uh, without further delay, guys, let's go ahead and check it out. This is a great video, and it's gotten a great response on our social media since I posted it yesterday. So here it is. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Glenn, you're welcome. As a child, you would wait and watch from far away. But you always knew life, that you'd be the one to work while they all play. And you, you lay awake at night and scheme of all the things that you would change, but it was, was just, just a dream. Go, 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 go! Come on!
It ain't fair. So there you guys have it. Awesome collaboration between Hard Productions and TB Edits. I highly recommend you guys go and check out their YouTube channels and subscribe. They are one of they are two of our contributors that contribute their videos so they can get the views that they deserve. Want to thank them both for collaborating on that and submitting it to Dead Talk Live. And before we go on, uh, I want to make another announcement. We, like I said earlier, we started this broadcast back at the end of April, and it's a daily show pretty much. We've been going nonstop. This is like our 227th episode that we've done in the eight months since we started this, and it's always been simultaneously streamed uh, to multiple social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we just very, very recently added Twitch to our lineup. So we are now simultaneously streaming to five different social media platforms where if you combine the followers, we have around 340,000 followers on all those platforms. Uh, and Instagram uh, is sort of the oddball out. I've mentioned this before. Instagram only allows uh, their live streams in portrait mode. Portrait mode means your phone, your mobile device has to be straight up and down. You can't flip it to its side and switch it over to landscape mode where you could see the entire screen. So for you guys that are watching me right now on Instagram, all you're seeing is the middle section. But I have a whole wide HD screen available to the left of me and to the right of me. So I made the decision that that's a lot of real estate that I'm not using to, uh, you know, comply with Instagram's archaic and strict rules because they don't allow uh, people to flip their mobile devices on their side and allow landscape mode. So I just want to announce that starting today, I am going to be taking advantage of my full real estate. It's only going to enhance this show. I'm gonna be bringing up the news articles as I'm reading them right next to me. I'm gonna be playing a lot more video clips of The Walking Dead and horror movies uh, according to whatever that daily topic is for that particular day. So for those of you guys that are on Instagram, and want to enjoy the full broadcast, uh, you will see this sign periodically come up above me that basically says to our Instagram users to enjoy the full broadcast content. You can watch us on any of our other four streaming platforms, which are YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, or Twitter. All you got to do is go to any of those platforms, search for Dead Talk Live, and we will be number one on the list. So if you want to watch us and enjoy the full broadcast, uh, broadcast content, the video clips I'm going to be showing, the news articles I'm going to be bringing up, please uh, go ahead and watch us on any of those other four streaming platforms. Or if you're fine on Instagram, stay on Instagram. Uh, that's fine. Instagram is not going anywhere. We have over 107,000 followers on Instagram alone. 
Instagram is not going to be removed from our streaming lineup. But I just wanted to uh, let you guys know about that uh, because you'll see me referring to clips that people on Instagram may not be able to see. And the reason why you can't see them is because they're either to the right of me or to the left of me on the screen. So there you guys have it. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and start with some of the news that's been happening over this long uh, break that we've had. And here's a good one. And there was a lot of news to pick from, but basically Looper did an article on The Walking Dead. Every community ranked worst to best. Uh, let's face it. The, uh, the early days of the zombie apocalypse on The Walking Dead were chaos. It was a free-for-all of people living in varying degrees of insanity, desperately trying to hang on to the world. The allure of seeing just how far humanity got away from the days of supermarkets and dinner parties in such a short amount of time wore off pretty early and The Walking Dead, Walking Dead was forced to explore what the remaining survivors on the planet did to rebuild. Now, it was time to abandon the old ways, recognize that you were never going to have to answer for that library late fee or get to work either rebooting civilization or succumbing to the harsh and unforgiving wasteland of walkers. There were a lot of really great ways to survive and live in the zombie apocalypse, but some were just plain better than others. Some decided to give up and let the walkers take charge, while others fought a constant battle for security and safety. Those who chose to fight did so with varying degrees of comfort, whether it was sprawling neighborhoods of McMansions or a literal trash heap like our scavengers. Those who braved the onset of their loved ones turning into mindless cannibals had their pick of the litter when it came to places to settle down and live whatever remained of their lives. Now, I would not call it their pick of the litter. Remember, after the prison fell in season four of The Walking Dead and everybody was split up, they got up, they met up again in Terminus. Uh, it's not like, okay, let's see, which community do we want to go to next? Uh, how many weeks, months maybe, did those guys spend on the road driving, mostly walking from Georgia all the way up to Virginia? Uh, looking for a place that they gave hope existed. They gave up hope existed. But along came Aaron and showed them Alexandria. Then along came Jesus and showed them the hilltop, the kingdom. And that's where we got the communities that we have today. Huge points get taken off for this community because they don't allow themselves to settle down this faction decided early on they did not want to bother with the trials and tribulations of hanging on to the world that was. You see, they're talking about Alpha and the Whisperers right there. That's a mean-looking picture of Samantha Morton as Alpha. 
and of course her whisperer standing behind her. Instead, they decided to cede control of the planet to the zombies by living amongst them. Rather than build walls to keep the walkers out, they donned cured flesh masks that allowed them to blend in with the dead, even strategically hurting them for the benefit of their own at times. Part of their philosophy was that humanity needed to get back to its animalistic roots. Therefore, they operated on a societal basis of hierarchy with an alpha leading their every move and making all their decisions. Although they successfully eliminated walkers as a threat to their daily lives, it just didn't feel like a great way to live. Setting aside that the fact that one errant move that appeared too human would result in your only source of protection in the world ripping you to shreds. They're basically talking about when you're walking amongst the dead, one false move that gives away that you are indeed alive, all those dead walking around you are going to pounce on your ass. A whisperer was at the mercy of their alpha. If alpha decided the herd was moving one way, that was the way they went. If Alpha decided to start a war with well-armed humans who weren't doing this weird flesh mask thing, they went to war. In short, there's not much difference between a whisperer and a and a regular zombie other than technical freedom, which the whisperers did not have under Alpha and the walkers could go wherever the hell they want. This is a great example of something that sounds terrific on paper being absolutely trash in practice. And there we have a picture of Dawn. I don't know why they put Dawn in this uh, part, but it says right there, Grady Memorial Hospital was a literal police state. Remember Dawn? She often gets forgotten about, but she was, she was a bad person. Saying Dawn from Grady Memorial was not one of the, you know, high-ranking antagonists on The Walking Dead might be a little bit of an understatement. Remember, she killed Beth. Uh, granted, Beth did stab her. That was a huge, stupid move that Beth did. It cost her her life. But anyway, uh, at the onset of the apocalypse, a handful of police officers in Atlanta managed to maintain their rank in society amongst a hospital skeleton crew as the city was literally bombed all around them. Their leader, Dawn Lerner, had the respect of her fellow officers due to her rank, which meant increasingly less with each passing lawless day. Eventually, supplies dwindled, and she implemented a system of taking survivors in for medical treatment only to force them to pay off their debt they incurred for being saved, fed, and secured for the duration of their illness or injury. And if I remember correct, uh, Dawn would do her damn best to make sure that anybody that entered her hospital was never really considered well enough 
to leave her hospital. Unable to keep the hospital as well as her status within the tense community afloat, Dawn resorted to more hostile measures, basically enslaving anyone that the police snatched up in a world where humanity is scarce and decisions are being made on a life-or-death level. Having to defer to the judgment and power of a former law enforcement officer just sounded like a nightmare. For Dawn and her citizens, life became about serving a singular goal, keeping her in power. You know, Dawn was not an antagonist on The Walking Dead who had a vision for the future. She had no vision for the future. Her main and only goal was to stay in power and control all of those that were under her. Uh, Let's see. I'm just looking over your chats. TJ on YouTube, welcome. Says the whispers really said, I don't care about the walkers anymore. Let's just take people's skins off. Yep. Uh, Khaleesi writes, to me, Dawn had Beth doing things that she didn't want to do dirtying her hands. Yeah, of course. That's what she had all her people do, including her officers. They did all her dirty work. Uh, but make no mistake about it. She was the brain. She was the evil, the, the driving force behind it all. Now, let's go to Woodbury. Of course, Woodbury, the governor, seemed normal, lovely, a picturesque of what the pre-apocalypse used to look like. The governor did this on purpose. He had very strict rules on curfews and so on. Woodbury gets credit for being one of the first safe havens built from the ground up after the onset of the apocalypse. And you can see right there in the picture, we have, of course, David Morrissey, who played the governor, talking to Andrea, Lori Holden. The governor led a small group of people to clear out, fortify, and make the very small town somewhat self-sustaining at a time when most other people were wandering the woods, hoping that the next person they encountered doesn't put up much of a fight for their supplies. And we all know how the governor took his supplies. Anyone he ran across, he didn't offer them sanctuary at Woodbury with the exception of Andrea and Michonne, and he had his own reasons for that. Uh, Same time he met Andrea and Michonne, remember he killed that uh, small group of military uh, men and took all their supplies. Under the governor's leadership, they even managed to plant crops, get the power back on so that some small slice of normal life was restored to a little more than 70 people. So that's approximately how many people were living in Woodbury. Uh, However, although comfortable, the residents of Woodbury were completely unaware of the day-to-day danger they faced, mostly from their immensely insane leader. The guy was a complete nut job. Their view, the viewers knew the governor to be heinous individual capable of horrific crimes. However, the average person who saw tomatoes growing in their neighborhood, knowing a harsh, bloody wasteland waited outside the walls, 
probably wasn't look, looking too closely at where the latest shipment of supplies came from or how the viciously violent group that went out looking and even found him. You know, and that puts me, let me ask, let me put this question to you guys. All right, let's say you're a survivor in the apocalypse. You come across Woodbury. Let's say the governor lets you in. You know, he. we all know the act that he puts on for people, smiley, you know, offering, gracious, gentle. He seems like a nice guy, right? And, but would you still take refuge in Woodbury uh, and turn to turn a blind eye knowing the truth about your leader so let's say you could be a woodbury resident you know you won't stir the pot you won't get out of the you know make trouble you'll get your food every day you'll have a nice little small square block to call home you'll have a bed to sleep in food to eat even water to shower and drink but your leader is a psychopath. How many of you guys would do that for refuge? I'm saying uh, probably a good number of people would do that. Uh, it's hard to ask ourselves that question because it's such a situation that we can't even imagine being in. But it's even difficult for me to answer and say, man, I might just, I don't know, I might turn a blind eye and, uh, you know, do what Andrea could not do. And that is kill the bastard when he's asleep. She had the knife right over him while he was asleep. But she couldn't do it. She could have saved so many lives. She could have saved all the residents of Woodbury. But just put it on the list of Andrea's bad decisions. All right, next on the list is the scavengers or how they like to call themselves, the actors on the set, the Heapsters. Sabrina Gennarino, who played Tommy L, told us that when she was on this show. Once you survive the apocalypse, the question becomes, what kind of day-to-day -day life is acceptable for you to survive in? For the members of the Scavengers, the answer to that question had a pretty low bar. While the people around them were clearing out prisons, factories, and small towns, a woman calling herself Jadis opted to go a different way by claiming a junkyard. And I gotta admit, that's pretty ingenious. We all, you know, there's a ton of stuff to scavenge in a junkyard. Uh, if you don't mind eating someone else's garbage, but if you're starving, hell, you'll probably eat anything. On paper, it does sound bad. However, if you were looking to survive the outside, it proved security as well as resources like scrap metal and even some, albeit gross, food. It's other people's garbage. Meanwhile, Jadis's policy of rarely risking her people's lives or even revealing their presence to the world meant that they could avoid conflict while living in relative comfort with plenty of essential supplies. They stole stuff. That's how they got their supplies. They did not hurt anybody. They minded their own business. They did have a deal with the 
Saviors and Negan, uh, just like the other communities that the Saviors knew. Uh, you know, whatever Jadis got, she had to turn over half of it over to Negan and his crew. But other than that, that left people alone. They really did not bother them. Uh, but that, of course, all got up upended because of Simon. It wasn't until the war in the area that became so large that Jadis and her people were impossible to ignore and eventually fell into the hands of the saviors, more specifically, Simon. Until then, however, Jadis had built a resource-heavy community full of loyal people who stayed out of sight and therefore out of mind. And that is her lieutenant, Tamiel. They were even making groovy artwork and adopting weird eccentricities like only speaking in broken English. And uh, I asked this question to Sabrina, who played Tamiel. Where did that, you know, talking come from? It's never explained on the show. Uh, it was never explained to the actors as well. So they came up with their own theories as to why the, the scavengers started talking the way they started talking. Anyway, the kingdom. Uh, short-lived, great ruler, courageous, nobody seemed to mind to living under the fairy tale of somebody calling themselves the king. He was a theater actor. Uh, he did productions. So he was very adept to playing the role of a king. He never broke character. He did build a community that was thriving in the beginning. Uh, now, it goes on to say, speaking of odd dictation, choices in the apocalypse, the kingdom takes the cake by forcing its most loyal members to adopt a Renaissance fair style of English as they pledged fealty to their founder and king, Ezekiel. I would not say forced. I never saw them as being forced. I more saw it as them willing to go with the, uh, I don't even know what to call it. They call it a Renaissance fair style. Uh, I really don't know what else to call it. While having to perform a character as a family member's died and society crumbled all around you was challenging to say the least, the kingdom was one of the more coveted places to live. Early in the apocalypse, Ezekiel saw potential in an abandoned school and fortified it as a place to build a community. Unfortunately, it wasn't around a lot of natural resources, nor was it in the most defensible spot. However, that didn't stop the mighty king from putting in the work and turning it into a self-sustaining safe haven. Unfortunately, his hold on the kingdom was only as strong as the resources it provided once the saviors came in demanding a portion of their things. And you have to remember, by the time we as the viewers get to meet the kingdom, the deal between Negan and the saviors has been going on. We don't get to see when Ezekiel uh met negan or gavin and they struck that deal the saviors 
did agree to, I guess, Ezekiel's one condition that the exchange of goods would be done somewhere far away from the kingdom. He did not want his people knowing that Ezekiel struck a deal to keep them safe by giving half of, half of their stuff away to a group that was quote-unquote protecting them. While the king proved more than capable of making deals and warfare, it didn't take long before the resources and good nature of the kingdom and its citizens wore out. Gone were the days of uniform armor, proud Shakespearean dictation, and deference to Ezekiel by the time the kingdom fell. While the community gets credit for changing with the times and giving up its playful games, the second the world got a bit bigger, the fact is that is that is that sorry is that Ezekiel invested long term in a place with a short expiration date. And the fall of the kingdom, I do not put it at Ezekiel's feet. Uh when Michonne decided to cut off Alexandria and trade stopped happening between the kingdom, Hilltop, Alexandria, and Oceanside, there was a big fallout between Michonne and Maggie. That's when things started to go downhill for the kingdom. And this all happens during the time jump. We don't actually get to see this yet. We might get to see it in... One of the upcoming spinoffs, like Tales of the Walking Dead. Uh, but eventually, the plumbing, everything started to fall apart. They tried keeping up with the place as best as they could. But in the end, it fell. It fell, and at the end of Season 9, as we all know, they had to make the trek in that bad winter storm where we got to see snow for the first time in the Walking Dead universe as the kingdom was abandoned for good and everybody made their way to the hilltop and there goes the kingdom. And here we have a picture of, of course, the prison. If the apocalypse were to start tomorrow, a lot of people would likely run to their nearest prison and position themselves snugly behind a bunch of walls designed to keep people in, right? wrong. The prison may seem like a great place to live, and Rick and his group of survivors did their best for a very long time. However, the logistics of maintaining a prison were a constant struggle. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The prison would still be standing, and this is just one of the decisions, bad decisions, that Rick Grimes made and that is not going out and searching for the governor after he slaughtered his people and disappeared. And even Carl blamed Rick for that as well. So the, the prison could very well still be operational. If uh, Rick would have made the decision, instead of turning into Farmer Rick, he would have went after the governor with everything he had, found him, and put an end to him. But that is not how it went. He did feel guilty about that. Even Carl, while he was unconscious, let him know that that was the complete wrong decision. 
Daryl did not blame Rick. Daryl blamed himself for not going out and looking for the governor. He didn't, he didn't put the, the blame on Rick directly, but it was sort of implied that him following Rick's uh, decision not to go after the governor and Daryl going along with it, he, he bore a lot of that guilt himself. Uh, for one, the place was designed to be maintained by large staff of guards, cooks, administrators, and more. When in doubt, prison labor filled in gaps. When the survivors arrived, it was a little more than a dozen people trying to manage a massive facility while blocking off a section of the prison was easy enough. They were constantly plagued by walkers getting past the gates and maintaining upkeep on the handful of systems and infrastructure that kept them safe. Meanwhile, its curbside appeal made it a constant target for attacks. I mean, who can miss a big prison? Which is ultimately how the prison fell. In a desperate world, having something as shiny and secure as a prison was too often an invitation for outsiders to take what was not theirs. So I'm going to stop right there. Colette writes on Facebook, I'd go to the Tower of London. That's a good spot. For me, where I would like to be if the apocalypse breaks out is on a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. Okay? You don't have to worry about gas. You don't ever have to worry about power. Uh, you can go anywhere in the world that you want. Uh, you can shoot. You can make your own garden on the aircraft carrier with the runway and the large area that they have. Uh, grow your own food. Roam the world. I would be more than happy to live out the rest of my days on board a aircraft carrier. That's my ideal choice to live out the apocalypse. And if you guys have your own uh, places that you have already thought of of where you would like to live out the apocalypse, please go ahead and share that because I would love to hear it. Anyway, we're going to leave that right there for now. And uh, we have about 20 minutes left. And I want to at least get started on today's topic, okay? Today, we are going to be talking about found footage horror films. And it all starts uh, back in the late 90s with a movie that came out that I'm sure all of you have heard of, and that is The Blair Witch Project. Uh, before we start that, uh, Wilson writes on YouTube, they lost so many casualties to the, to the prison. Uh, a lot of people died, that's for sure. Singer Chick writes, if there had been a lot more people... The prison may have been a great choice and may could have been kept it going, but they were desperate for any place when they came upon the prison. Hey, I would have tried to take it as well. And they did. They got rid of the walkers. And if it wasn't for the governor and Woodbury, yeah, other threats would have shown up. No question about it. They were, it would have been a constant battle. But if you kept taking good people in, training them, building an army, uh, 
scavenging for weapons, building weapons, I think you can keep it. I think you could hold it. But when a dude, when a psychopath rolls up on your, priv- on your prison with a tank, that's when you run into trouble. So anyway, so going back to our found footage films, I put together a collection of clips that we are going to be watching for the rest of this episode of some of the greatest found footage uh, horror films that really got their start uh, in the late 90s. Uh, after, you know, the, the late 90s was the uh, dot-com boom where the internet was starting to go into every household. I know a lot of some of our younger viewers were not around for that. But the Blair Witch Project was released, uh, and it got so much hype because at the time, they really built it uh, as something that actually happened, uh, and a lot of people fell for it, and I was one of them. I left that movie theater like 70% believing that this, shoot, this actually happened, and they did find this footage somewhere in the middle of the woods in West Virginia, and these three people disappeared. But anyway, let's go ahead and watch one of the more more infamous clips from uh, the Blair Witch Project. And uh, before I do that, actually, here we goes. And of course, it's not working. Of course it wouldn't, because this is the first time I'm doing this. Hold on. Let me get that back online here. Give me one second. Let's try this again. All right, here we go. Blair Witch Project. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I'm sorry. Now that's Heather. I was, I was very, very naive. naive. I was so, so, so sorry. sorry. For everything that has happened. Now if you guys remember, Heather was the stubborn one saying, we're not lost, we're not lost. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we were lost. There you go. I insisted that we keep going. There you go. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had came my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's not because of me that we're here now. Hungry. Cold.
close my eyes. Yeah. I'm scared to open them. Open them. Yes, you are. All right. Now, what made the Blair Witch Project so scary is not so much the stuff that we saw. Yeah, we saw those creepy little stick figures. Uh, the end, by far, was the scariest part when they discovered the house that was never there before. Uh, and it's about a student who uh, decides to do her thesis or something about the Blair Witch which is in the Blackwoods of uh, West Virginia. So they go, they park their car, they head into the woods, uh, they start running across these uh, stick figurines, occult symbols, and it's nothing that we actually see. We don't see any blood or guts or gore in the Blair Witch Project. What makes the Blair Witch Project scary is the stuff that we imagine being there, the stuff that we don't see, that is left up to our imaginations, that really starts to scare the crap out of us. Now, after the Blair Witch Project, uh, I mean, it was such a huge hit, and it brought upon us this brand new subgenre of horror slash thriller. Because according to the episode that we did last uh, last week, where I tried to explain the difference between horror movies and thrillers, the Blair Witch Project would most definitely fall under the thriller category. Anyway, moving on, want to welcome Gypsy Road to the bro- to, to the broadcast. Welcome, Gypsy. It's good to have you back on the show. Anyway, moving on. Now we have this new subgenre of horror movies, and they are given the name of found footage films. And there were a lot of them that came out. But the one that was the biggest success was a movie that cost only $10,000 to make, and it made about well over $180 million worldwide. And that is the 2007 Paranormal Activity. And I've got a clip of that. Let's go ahead and watch that. This is the end of the Blair Witch trailer. Here we go. Paranormal Activity 2007. Now this movie scared the crap out of me. Look at this crap. I mean, this this had me shitting in my pants. And look at the door. You could see the shadow on the door as the demon walks in and out. And you see the lights. There, you see, right there. You saw the shadow. You saw him walk into the room, and then she wakes up abruptly. Because he the demon actually breathed right into her ear. And then we see Katie, of course, getting possessed, ultimately. And this is how it ends. Poor Micah. Mika. 
This is one of the scariest scenes when she gets dragged out of bed. This is the Ouija board scene. They were not even home for this and the thing catches on fire. Now, th now before we continue, uh, Paranormal Activity, the first one, is my favorite, okay? Uh, there were like four or five that came out all together. Uh, Gypsy Road writes that the director and the writer was also in the movie. Yep. He played the investigator. He played the one, the guy that came to the house. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gypsy. He came to the house and uh, once he walked in, he immediately said he had to get out of here. He had to leave. Uh, that's who the... Uh, and his name is Oren something. I forget his last name. But anyway, uh, in the movies that came out afterwards, of course, they had a much bigger budget than the original $10,000 that uh, the first Paranormal Activity had. But out of all the following sequels, I actually really loved Paranormal Activity 3. It had a great story. It was scary as hell. I'm about to show you some clips of that right now. And a thing to remember about the Paranormal Activity movies is that they worked, in, they worked their way backwards. Like the first movie in, in timeline-wise is the most recent. And then each movie works its way back in their lives. That's why you see characters who passed away in the first movie in the second and third movies. So anyway, let's take a look at Paranormal Activity 3. They're little girls now. Notice everything starts moving in the room all by itself. Pay attention to the left side of the screen. You see that being lifted up? Look at the balloons. Damn. Yep, she gets dragged away. So you see this this is awesome. This is awesome. This is absolutely scared the shit out of me. Look at this. This is the kitchen scene, right? Yeah, yeah. If you guys haven't seen this movie, just watch this scene. If you have, then you know exactly what's about to happen. Watch this. Hello? 
everything's gone. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Now, this is another great scene. Now, what we get to find out from this scene here is the demon is actually uh, portraying himself as a little kid. Just look at the size of the sheet. Just look at look at the size of the sheet. It is a little kid, and that's how he was able to get to the girls. There it is. And watch as soon as she turns around. Bam. It's like she, the demon knew she was going to turn around. Now, the way the camera is swiveling back and forth like that, this is the 1980s. The dad actually modified a fan and stuck a camera onto the fan for it to swivel back and forth. Now, this next movie here called Paranormal Entity came out very soon after the original Paranormal Activity. I bet you a lot of you guys have never heard of Paranormal Entity. Uh, it's a direct knockoff of Paranormal Activity. No doubt about it. But it was still very good. Even though it completely stole the story from Paranormal Activity, it was very good. And in its own right, it was extremely scary. There was only one of these movies ever made. It be just because that Paranormal Activity completely overshadowed, oh, sorry, uh, overshadowed Paranormal Entity. But I'm going to show you some of the real scary clips from a movie, from this movie called Paranormal Entity. If you guys have not watched it and you're looking for a good paranormal footage movie, check out Paranormal Entity. Check this out. Yeah, that would scare the crap out of me too. Stay behind me. It's what they discover once they put lights on the place that really freaked me out. CC Weezy's never seen this one. It, it got overshadowed. Look it up. Go to justwatch.com and look up Paranormal Entity. You gotta watch it. Oh, Philip has seen it. Philip saw it on Facebook. Watch what it is. Listen. Watch this. There you go. Footprints on the ceiling. 
And these are human footprints on the ceiling. Sammy also saw it, said this movie was awesome. It should have gotten a lot more credit than it did. That just blew me away. The footprints running on the ceiling across the whole house. My ass would be so gone from that place. Yeah, Andrew, like dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> Andrew Valentine is on YouTube. No, it's not okay. How can that ever be okay? Okay, now this next movie, Host, brand new, came out this couple months ago. It's available on Shudder. I don't know if it's available anywhere else, but it is definitely available on Shudder. It's only like a 57-minute movie, and it's a Zoom movie, which means that the entire movie is a Zoom session where a group of four people, this is during the quarantine lockdown that we're currently living in, a group of four to five people have this bright idea to do a seance through a Zoom session. Yeah, you heard me right. They're gonna do a seance through a Zoom session, okay? The movie's only 57 minutes long, and this movie landed on the top 10 best horror movie list for 2020. Check out the, these scenes. Now remember, this is a Zoom session. There you go. Now, pay attention to in the ceiling. When Or the attic. She's going to go up into the attic. Pay attention to what she sees in the attic. Because she misses it. We're almost, we're out of time almost, but I, I want to finish, I want to show you guys this scene. Hope you guys are enjoying these uh, clips. You see that? They missed it. You have five people watching that on Zoom and they all missed it. 
There were feet dangling from the ceiling, as if somebody hung themselves in the attic. And that's it, guys. We are out of time. Uh, I like this. I like being able to share clips with you guys. Uh, so somebody mentioned, uh, I'm a white boy, mentioned the echo. Sorry, I forgot to turn off the background music. I turned that off. Uh, won't happen again. But I love being able to uh, share these clips with you guys. I'm going to be doing this a lot more often. So, guys, like I said, to our Instagram followers, if you guys want to see the full broadcast and enjoy everything in its entirety, you can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Please visit us on, on our website, deadtalklive.com. You can see our featured episodes, our upcoming guest lists, and as the new year comes in this Friday uh, and, you know, representations of talents go back to work, we are going to be announcing a slew of a lot new guests that are going to be appearing on our show. So stay tuned for that. Always go to our website, deadtalklive.com, as that is the most up-to-date place to see all of our upcoming guests, as well as seeing all of our prior guests and prior interviews. Visit our YouTube channel, which is called Dead Talk Live. And please go ahead and subscribe. Don't forget to check out. We are now also on Twitch, Dead Talk Live. We are all throughout social media. Dead Talk Live is how you can find us. Anyway, guys, I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. You guys are awesome as always. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night with you guys. And until then, guys, remember, stay safe and stay walking.